You are listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. Well, we're live. Welcome once again, guys, to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben, with DreamLoud Studio, here with my co-host. Vadim from Calm Frog Recording. How's it going, man? It's going all right. It's going all right. <laughs> yeah, we just bantered a little bit about how uh, an episode we recorded last week just completely bit it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to get Eric's take on this, but uh, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you introduce Yeah, speaking of first. which, instead of just awkwardly having somebody else sitting on the screen here, let's introduce <laughs> yeah. our... We have a guest today. Uh, so, everybody, welcome to the podcast, The Master of Sax. Mr. Eric Fazzini. <laughs> uh, you might have heard him if you're a fan of Scott. Oh, he plays in this great band called the Voodoo Glow Skulls. They just released a new album. It's great. I listened to the whole thing. Uh, so oh, we're, we're very pleased to have you on the show, Eric. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Awesome. Yeah, very awesome. So um, let's talk about our episode that bombed last week. Is there yeah, any take comes from this? Yeah, I want to know what happened with that. <laughs> well, what happened is is, a, is the million dollar question. I have no idea what happened. But I, I, Eric, are you a, a regular podcast listener? I do listen to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. Okay. Are there any podcasts you listen to where it's like you listen to it every week or whatever every time an episode comes out? Yeah, I got a few of those. Okay. Well, that, that's not applicable to our podcast. I don't think we have any <laughs> listeners like that. <laughs> Last week, we had to scrap a whole episode because oh. of technical problems. And what we got was basically the quality was unusable and it, it was, just wasn't worth it. So I'm, I'm always nervous when stuff like that happens. So I'll ask you guys as podcast listeners, what, what, what's your take on that? If a podcast you listen to every week suddenly goes dark, what do you assume? Well, it's always weird when there's no announcement. You're like, I guess they got busy or um, I hope everything's okay. That's my first <laughs> That's my right. first two thoughts. I um, always assume vacation. They're just like, oh, maybe they, yeah. I just didn't check their social medias and see they're on vacation. I'll check it next week, I guess. Okay. So okay. That's good. Maybe just don't say anything and nobody will know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just ignore, ignore the week that wasn't there. Right. Yeah. Well, I do listen to one podcast. A lot of the podcasts I listen to, the, the production's really great, but there's one video game podcast I listen to. And I swear every episode, it's way worse than ours, their, their start. <laughs> like, you hear dead silence for 10 seconds, and then somebody says, I think we're live. <laughs> <laughs> and the awesome thing is they just throw it up. They don't um, worry about editing it or everything, and I still love it, so... You know, that's you got to awesome. roll with the punches sometimes. Yeah, we're, yeah, like, awesome. we're an audio podcast, though. So I feel yeah, like true. the bar is, is higher, you know? We can't, <laughs> we can't have, like, bad audio. I don't know. It's just maybe it's just my own, my own hang-ups. But you guys work in audio, so you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. Sometimes you just can't control, can't control what happens in that atmosphere. Well, let's dive into this episode. So today... Um, I'm really happy that we could have you on, Eric, not only to tell us about uh, your band and, you know, your your history with saxophone and playing gigs and going on tour, which is all going to be awesome. We'll get to that later. Yeah. But um, I know from my perspective, um, a lot of times when I'm producing a song that needs horns, uh, I'm just going to grab for a virtual instrument a lot of time because I don't mm. know very many people that can uh, 
just hop on over to the studio and lay down a really sick saxophone line or, or brass instrument uh, in general. So I really want to dig in later and talk about, you know, some tips and tricks for writing brass parts and, and different different things as far as uh, what you're looking for when you're composing and how to go about executing a good recording. So that's kind of where what I'm hoping to go with all of this episode. But um, just starting out, let's uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how did you get into playing saxophone? And, uh, you know, where did you find your love for music? Uh, I'll give like a TLDR of my what happened so like i guess my mom told me when i was in like second or third grade i just like told her i wanted to play the sax it's like i gotta play the sax <laughs> and i don't i, I mean i don't play. i don't remember that but as soon as i was able to in like fourth grade she she was able to scrape together the money to get me like a rented school instrument and then i just like took off from there and then um scratch uh, head forward to about eighth grade um there was a kid who was like into punk rock and ska and he was like hey you play saxophone you want to be in a ska band and i was like i don't even really know what that is and he gave me a mixtape with like on one side it was this punk band uh called sir isaac lime and then on the other side was five iron frenzy i don't know if you oh, guys I know, know who five that iron. Band is. yeah i know five iron frenzy it was uh, I to them when i was growing up yeah they're 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 pretty awesome there is their album uh upbeats and beatdowns so it's like the, their first i think it's their first or second album great name and I was yeah. like, whoa, what is this? And like eighth grade, it like completely changed. I was like, you could do this with my, like my nerdy little instrument. I could like, <laughs> no, I have to play these, the like regular nerd songs. I could play like cool <laughs> stuff like this. I mean, I love playing, I love playing that stuff too, but it's like, it was like opened up a whole new, mm. a whole new echelon. So then I get to high school and uh, then the band that really set it off is a Japanese ska punk band called Kamuri. And uh, I listen to them and out of that band, I still, they're still like my top one or two favorite bands of all time because they're just amazing. They like preach a lot of positivity in their music. Their horns mm. are just incredible and their music is just amazing. And then um, I, I got real deep into ska then in high school and then uh, started, my, started my first band with a bunch of buddies called The Accidents. It's hmm. god awful band. God <laughs> but awful it band. was it was forgivable because of the name though. So right. Good, yeah. Good job picking that. <laughs> yeah. But we uh so we did that and that was like uh, maybe sophomore or junior year in high school. And then we did a few tours like when I was like 17, 18. Just like a few West Coast tours. Like one was like a month long. I don't even know how we did that. We did it on like BYOFL. That's uh I don't know if you guys hmm. are familiar with that. Book Your Own Fucking Life was the name of the website. <laughs> No, it was a website. Yeah, it's a cool website. You used to go there. I don't know. It might still be up in some way, but you used to be able to go there and it would have just a giant list hmm. of promoters and venues and bands and contact info and the city and state. So you would just eat like you'd be like, okay, I want to do this route. This is one of the route I want to do from like Colorado to California, up to Seattle, Montana, and back down. And then you would just like do your routing and then you would call all the places and try and book your own tour. So we did Dang. like two or three tours like that and then uh, joined Voodoo shortly after that band broke up actually around like 06, 07. Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. So you just dove right headfirst into it, it sounds like. Yeah, I just, it, what, as soon as I heard Kamuri, dude, I was like, well, now I'm obsessed with this. And I just like became unhealthily obsessed with ska music and the culture and just everything about it. So where, cool. where did um 
recording come in? You said you went to Full Sail. How did that come about? And actually, even before you went, was there something that sparked your interest in recording, like through playing with these bands? Did you guys get into the studio? What happened there? So I like being more behind the glass. Like I don't, I don't like, I like recording. Recording's fun and all, but I like being a part of like the engineering and sound design of everything. Mm. So I was in, I, I was in Voodoo and I played 2006 to about uh, maybe 2011. And then just like some personal stuff happened and I just had to leave the band because I was just going through a time and I decided, I was like, I'm going to go to school for sound design. Mm. Where, where can I do that? And uh, Full Sail was one of the first ones that came up. It was either Full Sail or some school in California. And I was like, mm. I don't want to live in California. I don't. I see what Florida is all about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember the reason I decided is because I was watch. I watched the movie Twenty Three. Have you guys seen that movie? With Jim Carrey? No. Uh, or that's maybe, the number. That's the number twenty three. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's called some. It's a number. It's like the one. It's a CGI movie with like puppets. Oh, like, nine. Nine. Yes. That was the one. I saw that movie and it was like, I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. I want to do stuff like this. And like the sound, cool. design. sound design. Yeah. I was like, that, I became like, that became a new passion of mine. So I mm. went, I went to full sale and then I graduated from there. And then I actually did, um, I actually did an internship at the, their dubbing, their dubbing stage, which is like mm. a Dolby, a Dolby certified surround sound, like giant. It's like a mini movie theater. Mm, And uh, I did an internship there for a few months and just did a whole bunch of post-production stuff. And uh, it was just great. And then I moved to Nashville after that. And then I ended up working at a studio called County Q. And I did some post-production stuff out of there for a couple of dudes who owned a film company. Mm. And I did that for like maybe a year or two. Um, But it's freelance stuff. And I'm sure some of you guys know, like, it's hard to chase down those checks. I just wasn't tired of working 10 hours at the studio and then eight hours in a dish room working at like doing yeah. dishes. And then I moved here to go to CMU uh, to do like the music education program. I, at the time I was working overnights at Whole Foods and then I saw Voodoo came to town. So this is like 2015, maybe 2016. And they came to town and I hit up Eddie, the guitar player on Facebook. And I was like, Hey dude, you guys are coming. Can I like jump on for a song or two? And he's like, yeah, man, of course. So they came through and then I p- just played on the closing songs. I think at that time it was uh, Say Goodnight and Bank Geek Mafia. Those were like the two closers at that time. And so I just got up and I played those and everyone was like, oh, it's cool. And then they <laughs> came back like eight months later and I was like, hey, let's do it again. But this time I want to play the whole set. <laughs> and then Eddie was like, yeah, of course. He's like, whatever you want, dude. I, we know you can do it. So I was like, cool. So then they came and I played the whole set. And this is probably like late 2015 early 2016. And then he, as soon as like two weeks after that, he hit me up and was like, Hey dude, we're recording a new record. We want sax on it. So like, you want to fly, we'll fly you out and you can just record like you did last time. And I was like, sure dude. So I flew out in 2016, February. And that was when we started recording. Oh, and then I, then we started, I started touring again. Cause that was like, why well, might as well. I was like working yeah. overnights at whole foods is cool and all, but like, well, I, I'm, I was like, if you guys need somebody to play, it just so happened that the trumpet player at the time um, ended up quitting and joining the Mad Caddies, which is another like pretty big ska band. Okay. And so they were like, hey, Mark, Mark's about to leave. You want to do this again? And I was like, you're damn right I do. <laughs> and so I just started doing it again, like mid 2016 until now. We're still doing it. 
Dope. So quick question real quick, because yeah. I'm not as not I'm not as up on the the ska arrangement of uh you know what you typically want in a band. Not a lot I of think, people are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um I I think from what I've seen before is, you know, traditionally you've got like a trumpet player and a trombone or it's normally like two guys. So what's the setup in voodoo and how do you go about picking like what brass instruments you want at what times? So the setup when, when they first started, it was a full horn section, like a trumpet, oh, sax, trombone as well for mm. like most of their records. I think the first record just has two trombones and a trumpet or I'm sorry, okay. two, two trombones and a sax. And then everything okay. after that has all three sax, trombone, trumpet. And so now what it is, is trombone sax, which I mean, I like my favorite combination is all three, obviously, because you get all three yeah. ranges. But if you have to pick between just two horns, like you're we're like with in a band and you're like, hey, we're in this band and we want to be a ska band, but we only want two horns. What horns do you pick? I'd say tenor sax trombone. I think that's like the two. Okay. The two that like com they complement each other because they're in the same range. And uh, they have all, kind of the same timbre, except obviously one's woodwind and one's brass. So I think mm -hmm. they complement each other very well in terms of like being able to create cool harmonies. That's cool. That was my going to be my second question. You kind of answered it is like, um, how do you go about choosing? Like, why, why would you choose those different uh, brass instruments rather than having three of the same instrument? Is it... Does it come down to the range of the instrument or is it the character or, you know, what's more important or is it, you know, both? Uh, I think it kind of just depends on what the band is doing. Cause there's bands like MU330 that have just two trombones. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they, that when they first started, they had full horn section, but their last few records, there's two trombones. There's like the best, I think the best of the worst, which is a, a really killer Scottcore band out of, uh, Jersey, I believe they, they have two trombones or had at one point, I think it's trombone sax now, but I, it's just depends on what the whole band is doing. Like some styles require more high end. Mm. Um, like, I mean, less than Jake is uh saxophone trumpet. Cause they're, I think, I think it's cause they're a little more of a popular band. So they like mm. more of the mids and high ranges, but gotcha. if you're doing like dark stuff, you could do like more of the, like the trombone and saxophone, like more darker, heavier stuff. But it doesn't really matter. You can kind of just yeah. pick a horn section and just write around it. This is a yeah, total cool. total noob question, but give me the the ranges of these good, instruments. Good what's <laughs> higher, lower, and oh how it compares God. to like I don't know, bass guitar, electric guitar, as far as octaves and keys go. So I, oh, I'm kind of like a fake musician. Like I know I <laughs> like I do stuff. I do a lot of stuff by ear. Um. But like I have to dig deep on like my CMU stuff. So like I think the I think the tenor sax goes from uh, the C below middle C and bass clef all the way up to like I, the range is insane. You get up to like whistle tones, like the dude from Saturday Night Live can do. He does those like those like crazy high whistle tones. Those are like way above the treble clef uh, register. So the range of tenor is actually like pretty monstrous. Yeah, because um, mm -hmm. it goes from bass clef all the way to like way above treble clef, depending on like uh, how high you can go. Is that what you play, by the way? You play the tenor sax? Yeah, I play tenor sax. Okay. I, I I played. I started on tenor, and then I played in Barry for a little while. But tenor is my favorite. Barry's cool for like doing like crazy low stuff. But I don't and know, it's like, huge too. Yeah, my my band teacher said it best. He's like, uh, Barry was my first instrument, but tenor is my first love. 
<laughs> so it's kind of like how I feel like I, I play all three of them, but tenor is definitely like my go-to uh, trombone ranges. I have no idea. I know you can get crazy high and crazy low on trombone. You can get like way under the bass clef, but also like pretty high up there too. But oh, so I, that's what you're saying. Those two instruments are kind of similar yeah, range. wise Yeah. They have like similar ranges and like similar timbres too. So mm. yeah, very cool. I like to think in terms of bass guitar and guitar. So I'm See, trying I, to like image him in my image it in my head that way. I think very monophonically. So like it's hard for me to think in like terms of string instruments or chordal or like monophonic or polyphonics. I just can't. I like I can stack stuff like in MIDI because you can like stack right. You know, like a sus seven or something. It's like right there in front of you. You can see it. But if somebody like shows you a fretboard and they're like, do a G, <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> well, I don't even. Uh, I play transposing instrument too, so that makes it like even harder to like yeah. try and figure out. Like I'm like, what? Your your G or my G? Like what? <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about? And I get yeah. real confused. <laughs> That's interesting. What? So what concert key is um, tenor sax? That's B flat. That's B flat. Yeah. Okay. So everything's transposed the whole step. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk about um, recording a little bit. All um, right. Then, then maybe we can talk about um, some arrangement later, but. So what's your, you recorded for the new album that just came out, right? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Did you do that at home and, and what's your setup or did you fly out to a studio and do that? So the interesting thing is this album is actually a mix of both. Because uh, oh, the cool. songs, like I think maybe four or five of the songs are one of the, the ones that we did back in 2016. Um, and then, but there's also like a mix, uh, the other half of the record is all remote. It's like pandemic record. So it's yeah. like definitely a mix of like Eddie has his own studio, Dog Run Studios, and uh, he has it. And it's like in his in his uh, in his backyard, and he it's that's where like where they do all the voodoo recordings. Mm. Um, so we have like half the records in there, and then the other half is uh, the rhythm sections in there. But myself and Jose, the trombone player, recorded at our respective houses. Like he lives somewhere somewhere in LA, like two hours north of Eddie. And uh, I live in Pittsburgh, so we just recorded our stuff at home. So like the half the record is stuff we did in the studio in 2016, 2017. And then the other half is just like stuff that we cut, like some of us did remote. So it's kind of a cool mix. That's crazy too, because I mean, I wasn't listening too in-depthly when I listened through the album, but I can't tell the difference. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. The, the guy who mixed and mastered is Paul Miner. So he, I think he did a really good job. And uh, he was able to just, I guess, match both of them and get everything, get everything solid. Especially because the horn, like the mics we used for Eddie's is like, you know, Eddie's got pro studio. He's got like ribbon mics and like all yeah. sorts of fancy stuff. And my setup, I mean, I don't, I don't know if we want to get to my setup yeah, now. I want to like, hear. So my setup's like super simple. I just have like a, I just have a 2i2, the Focusrite Scarlet 2i2 and a Beta 57. And that's mm. just what I use. Cause I think that I think the baby 57 catches like a nice range of the saxophone, the tenor sax and it's like real bright, but it can catch like everything. Nice. That's all I got pro tools and beta 57 and Scarlet two. I two super simple. I love that. Cause I think it, I think it proves that you can get quality recording with yeah. a very DIY setup, which is all what our podcast is about. Totally. <laughs> I was curious about the, the beta 52. Um, how you settled on that, what other mics you've tried, and 
you kind of already mentioned what you like about it, you know, the range that it captures, but maybe just talk about how you settled on that mic selection. So I did get a beta 57 and I got it because, no, that's cool. Uh, I got it mostly because it was cheap. I'm like cheap guy. (laughs) I'm like kind of poor, but like I I didn't want to use an SM50, like a regular 57. I didn't want to use a 58, which are like fine live horn mics. Like they'll, they'll get the job done and we play really loud. So like it, you, those mics work perfect. You just like smash into them and they're like real, just like robust mics. But the Beta 57 is like slightly more subtle. They could catch better, catch more ranges. Um, I can't remember the charts. You could pull up all the charts on Sure, and mm. uh, it'll show you like the ranges that each mic gets. And that was the one I looked at because I, lo- I love how that mic sounds live too. Mm. And uh, so I was like, man, I just get one of those because it's within my price range. And uh, so I just got one of those. And um, just based on the charts and then based on my live experience that I've had with it. That's that's good to note, actually. I've never used one, but it looks like I'm just looking up pictures of it now. It's a common. I think that's a popular mic for snare drums, too, isn't it? Oh, like is I it? You might be right. a lot on snares. I think you might be right. But talk a little bit about the, the mic placement. Coming at it from a perspective of never having recorded horns, I think of it as somewhere between like an acoustic guitar and a guitar amplifier, <laughs> which <laughs> have like different mic techniques. So talk about the mic placement. How does it compare to what you do live? And what are the small adjustments you can you can make if things aren't sounding right? So for, for saxophone, it's not as crazy as acoustic guitar. Like acoustic guitar, you can mic it, you know, right on the hole or like up on the bridge and it'd be like a completely different sound. But I usually just for... What we did is I just I just hooked it up like maybe like three to f- like four to six inches from the bell, and then I would just like sit down and like as I was writing I would just like play and play straight in straight on into it. Mm, um, okay. Another thing I like I like to do, but I couldn't do for this record, but I think we did on the last one, um, is I like to get two mics, and I like to have one with the bell straight on, like the saxophone bell going straight into the mic, and then another mic on the side with the the keyholes because when you're playing the Mm. saxophone the air not only goes out of the bell it also goes outside of the keyholes so you're Mm. getting that sound you're getting that sound from the keys and the pad and then also the cool thing you get is like the click of the keys so it's like something Mm. real subtle that you can just like kind of like slightly mix in there so if you're listening with like really nice headphones you're like whoa the sax sounds crazy you can like hear the click of the keys Mm. and so you just record them both and then mix them together um, we did that on the last record and then I think we did it with a couple of songs on this one, but it's not as prominent. Um, I love that because I just couldn't get, I just didn't buy a second mic, but that's, that's like my next goal is to get another 57 a, so I'd have the matching set and then just yeah. have like one in the front, boom, one on the side and just capture like both, both sounds. What do Very you like cool. about the clicking of the valves? Is it the percussive element well, I don't know. I just think it sounds cool. Yeah, it's like the percussive yeah. element too, but also like, I don't know, like weird like ASMR stuff maybe? Like it's just like <laughs> click, 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 click. Like you just hear – because when you're going through the notes and you're pre- like you're hitting the keys, you like hear the note change. So mm. if you hear the note change and the key click, it's like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. It's just like another element that you wouldn't normally hear. That makes a lot of sense. It's almost like adding a transient so you can distinguish the note. The different notes a lot right. easier especially if you're doing like something fast yeah and then also it's just like you know as a sax player i hear that all the time like i can hear my 
acoustically key Oh, true, all when you're just playing acoustically yeah, so right it's like, in your room. Yeah, or even live. I wear earplugs that like uh, do like minus 20 dB, like those custom earplugs. Yeah. So even sometimes I could hear I could hear them then too. It's just like person like I can hear it personally. So it's like, man, it'd be cool if other people could hear that too, like while I'm playing. So that's like another added just adds yeah. like a little weird depth to it that not a lot of people would notice. But if you like I said, if you're wearing some like real nice headphones, you're just like, wow, something's kind of weird about this, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's also I mean the the whole idea original idea of recording was to kind of simulate being there with the band and those are the little nuances is the same thing on like bass guitar i think about like you know the fret noises of the finger sliding up and down exactly it's like fret noises yeah yeah and even i i recorded a piano once and there was like a a creaky a slightly creaky bench but it was kind of like an intimate spooky song and i was like that's 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 beautiful. Like that is the player moving. Like you, you really captured an, another dimension mm. to the performance. So yeah, I love that idea of capturing something other than just the sound coming off the bell. That's that's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I'm definitely gonna try that next time I record. What about uh, room acoustics? How worried? Oh, we lost Ben. Oh, are you still there? No, I'm still here. Okay, oh, can goes. you hear me? Weird. He's dropped out. Is my video froze. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Have you tried turning it off and back on again? There we go. <laughs> There we go. Okay, good. All right, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) So, Eric, yeah, I was going to ask you about um, consideration for room acoustics, especially since you mentioned you recorded in a different room than the trombone player. So I imagine you guys had to think Mm -hmm. about room noise and what you were capturing. Talk about that a little bit. So uh, when we recorded, the parts that we recorded with Eddie's obvious, like, studio, he's got, like, soundproofing, carpet, like, the floors, everything like makes sense there. Right. Um, my, my, my setup's weird. It's like a little side room. Um, it just has hardwood. It's a hardwood floor. There's not really much else in there. I have like some acoustic treatment, but not really. Cause I just, like the walls are kind of weird. It doesn't really like the acoustic treatment doesn't really stick onto it. And I don't want to like put a bunch of oh, nails yeah. in the wall. Yeah. Um, but it sounds it sounds nice like the the room like I'd listened back to the recordings and I was like oh, okay it doesn't sound there's not like crazy echo because it's a little bit empty of a room and it's hardwood so you would imagine like a lot of bounce back but uh, I guess where I have it, everything set up it it didn't come out that way um, Jose set up we did a couple things when we were writing together uh, we did a couple things virtually uh, I think he just kind of like. He just kind of like did his in his bedroom with like a bunch of moving blankets around just hmm. like a di- around like where he was recording. And uh, hmm. cause he lives in an apartment and his neighbors are kind of whack. So like <laughs> he had to, he had to do all sorts of like recording at weird times. And oh my so gosh. like nobody would freak out or like do anything. And, um, but I, yeah, from what I remember, he's just got like, it's pretty simple too. Just like in his, in his bedroom, carpeted bedroom with, with like a, I don't know. I I can't remember what kind of mic he used. Cool. So it sounds to me like you use like the proximity effect of the microphone itself. And because you were so close, you didn't really have to worry about, you know, the room sound as much. Right. Yeah. Because mm. you look at the pattern. What's what's a beta 57 of that super cardioid? Probably. That's so what I would like, guess. So there's not really much here. coming from the back. So because yeah. mm. all of it's in the front. So you just make sure you're close enough. So it doesn't catch that much as much room tone. I love it. 
Um, is that, that miking set up oh, similar to what you would do live, like the four to six inches off the bell? Is that typical? Uh, I mean, live, it just depends, man. Like I do a lot of, I like Jose and I both do a lot of mic play live, like in terms of like just different, just doing like different moves and mm-hmm. like, we'll just like mm. shove our horns like in the, in the mic or just like kind of far away. If you want to have like a subtle quiet noise or like real up on it, if you want to be like real loud on a loud part. So it's like, there's a lot of mic play that goes on with mm. the live set. It's not like recording you kind of like sit there and you're like, okay, what am I doing? Yeah. And then you have to like hit everything perfect with live. You could just like kind of go a little crazy with it. So it's, yeah. I mean, you want, that's what you want is like that four to six inches just to capture everything. But like, I don't know, sometimes the mood catches you and you're just like, I'm going to slam my, I'm going to put my saxophone in. I'm going to hit this and just like go crazy. Yeah, that's great. It's, I mean, it's, I guess, similar to what vocalists have to do. Yeah, yeah, totally. Vocalists. You can always tell the amateur vocalist when they come in closer to yell instead of pulling back a little (laughs) right yeah it's like we just do like weird doppler effects like like do stuff like that live for like Mm. different bending tones like do that kind of stuff and so yeah there's a lot of mic play just like like you said like a vocalist just like doing different stuff yeah right on yeah that was a great question um have you ever messed with uh having like a microphone attached to the bell have you so, seen anybody do that kind of a thing or that's huge in Japan. Like they don't okay. use, they don't use like a mics. They're all wireless and they go banana nut muffins and it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Cause you have total freedom. You don't yeah. have to be in front of the microphone anymore, but I'm weird. I know Jose really want, like, he's always like, why don't we get wireless mics, dude? Quit being be a baby about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I, it's like my security blanket. I like being able to like, I'd like too much freedom for me. It's kind of weird life. Like if I, if I didn't have to be in that spot <laughs> and I could be wherever it's like, it kind of like, it'd be, it's like too much for me. Like you'd be like swimming in the goldfish tank. You yeah. Know? It's like, it's where do too I much. go? What do I, I could play anywhere. I don't like it. It's like, I need yeah. to be in my spot and I could like dance and move in my little like two foot spot. But like having the ability to go anywhere is just too much for me. I know Jose, we, He's always like, give me crap about it. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, just let me have my mic stand. <laughs> yeah, it'd be weird if only one of you did it. You yeah. either both have to do it or, or none of you do yeah. it, right? <laughs> I would say he looks, like, see, saxophone to me is like the nerdiest of the horns. It's like the nerdiest of the horn. It sounds cool. It's a beautiful instrument, but it's definitely like the nerdiest of the horns. Really? Trombone, you can like spin a trombone around. You have your cool slide. You can like go into the audience. Okay. I tell him all the time. I'm like, dude. You could do all sorts of cool stuff. I play a nerdy instrument. Why don't you get you get the wireless mic and just go crown stage and put your put your uh, slide in people's faces, and I'll just stand here and like cheer you on from the side. Like, yeah, be cool, ham it up, dude. That's that's rad. I love when he does that kind of stuff. But yeah. he's like, no, like you said, he's like, no, it's weird, dude. I don't. It'd be weird. It's weird if one of us do it. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know. That's you know, funny. you might be right that saxophone's the nerdiest of the horns, it but totally it totally is. <laughs> but also, when I picture a, a saxophone player, like a really good one, I just imagine you know they're sitting all proper with yeah. dress clothes on and they're just shredding. Oh yeah, like like John Petrucci. You know, they're just shredding on the saxophone. I don't think of that with the other horns as much. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'll, I'll put an addendum. It's the nerdiest, but it's also the sexiest of the horns. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's better. I like yeah. that. 
Nobody's ever made sweet, sweet love to a the sound of a trombone. Yeah, right. We might have to edit oh that out. Gosh. It's a family podcast. <laughs> we'll see. Family friendly here. Family friendly. No, just kidding. Yeah. Um, let's talk about you know switching from recording. Let's talk about uh, arrangements and writing parts a little bit. So maybe let's start from. Well, let's just pick your brain real quick. So you just get a new song from Eddie. And I don't know, is Eddie the vocalist or does he play guitar? I, I actually don't know. Eddie's a guitar player. Uh, Ephraim, okay. Ephraim's the vocalist and George is on bass. And Steven is on drums and Jose is trombone. Perfect. So how it normally works is uh, Eddie, Eddie and or George will write a song. And then um, sometimes they'll have it with Steven on drums or the drum, like live drummer. Sometimes Eddie will just like have an idea um, and then he'll just map out drums. Yeah. And then he'll send me, he's like, Hey, here's the idea. Just write something to it. I'm like, cool. Um, so sometimes it's just guitar and drums. Sometimes it's guitar bass and fake MIDI drums. Sometimes it's guitar and MIDI drums. So that's usually like the com it's the combination of those three that, uh, Jose and I usually get. So, uh, how we typically do it is, um, Eddie or George or Eddie will send me the file that him and George made. And then I'll just, sit down and I'll listen to it a few times. Every once in a while, you'll get that spark. Like I'm sure you guys, as musicians, you guys can like, you'll just get that like, oh, this is the part that needs to go there. And then it just like comes naturally. Um, like a couple of the songs we wrote, like I think Suburban Zombies on the new record. I think I wrote mm. that, I think I wrote that horn part in like 20 minutes total. Like wrote, oh, recorded awesome. and did, it's like one of the, that's like one of my favorite songs on there too. So it's like so you get like shines that every once in a while. Um, but then there's a couple other one. There's like a couple other songs where it's like a little bit harder. You have to like sit, really sit with it, kind of listen to it like outside of the house or like when you're going on a walk and just like, man, what would really fit here? Try and like hum stuff. I'll like hum stuff into my phone mm. a lot while I'm listening. Um, and then I'll get back or like I'll, I'll like get in the studio and just like lay something down. Sometimes I'll just be like watching TV and then I'm like, oh, that should, that'd be cool there. And then I just like run because it's in the side room. And uh, when my computer was working, it was just always on. So that I just like have the song loaded up. I would just sit down and play it. And they'd be like, that's cool. And then I'll just come back to it later. And uh, but I usually did like song by song. And that's kind of how Jose and I wrote. Like we both get the song and then um, we just write and then just go from there. So is it kind of like um, like a vocalist would come up with melodies? Is that kind of how you think about it from a horn's perspective? Or how are you coming up with uh, the parts? And, w and when is it more of a melody and when is it more of a riff? So Eddie, when I first sense. joined the band, Eddie told me, he was like, saxophone, you need to take charge. Like the saxophone is the lead <laughs> guitar of the horns. Like, yeah, I remember, oh, yeah. I remember okay, that's great. I love telling that. me that. Um, in, the, in Voodoo Glow Schools, the saxophone is the lead guitar of the horns. So I've always kind of like, brought that to the forefront um when i'm trying to write stuff now uh voodoo is like pretty famous for their songs are just always have horns all the way through they're like real crazy to play there's like horns all the way through <laughs> so when i try and write i try and write as much horns as possible because i give eddie like as many ideas as i can i'm like here's like here's like 20 ideas for this song and then like you just pick what's cool and what's not. And then just like delete whatever. I'll just send them the raws, like the raw sax parts. And then um, I'm just like, delete what's cool, what's not. And then uh, if there's anything I need to fix, let me know. And then so he'd send it back and like, 
you'd have like, oh, this part, I deleted this part. So just like do this part ahead of it instead. Or sometimes he'd cut like, he'd like cut one part and then like reverse it because mm. they'd be like, well, we're actually going to put vocals here. So this one, this horn part's too busy, but there's no, there's like way less vocals here. So it's less busy. Let's put the one that's less busy with the vocals so you can still have horns there. And then the busy part where there's less vocals so it doesn't stamp on each other. So he's like real good about doing stuff like that. And he produces it. Um, and he did like a lot of horn production in terms of that. That's a great idea for working remotely, actually, is just to have a lot of ideas that then whoever's yeah. wearing the producer hat can kind of pick and choose from, like like building blocks, like Lego blocks. That's a very cool way of working. Yeah, totally. So and, uh, so another thing I'd, I'd send him, what I'll do is I'll have like my main part and then I'll play it in like whatever register I'm playing. And then I'll usually do another version an octave lower. So mm. if like I'm playing with, if I'm playing like in a higher register, I'll send, I'll do that. And then I'll play it the octave lower. If I can play that low, sometimes my, sometimes, I mean, the sax only goes so low, but if I can, I'll play as much of it as I can in a low octave. So then it's like both parts are being played one high, one low. And then I'll like do a harmony, maybe two like different harmonies. And then I'll do those high octave, low octave. So that way it gives like oh, okay. the choice of, it gives the choice of like, do we want the sax high here or low here? Or do we want to mix them both together and make it sound kind of cool? And then the trombone has the chance to like, oh, I want to do the low octave here or I want to do the harmony here. So then you just like stack it all together. Like you said, like Legos. And then the, everything just uh, gets like stacked on top of each other. And then it's just up to the producer and then the person mixing, which, oh God, mixing all those <laughs> horns. Like some, there's some parts where there's like 12 horn tracks just like, Lot, here's yeah. all of them like here's all of them dude like two different parts playing at the same time but it sounds real cool and he's like mix it real nice so it's so important because when you're talking about a lot of instruments in the same register and you have also vocals and guitar and you have all these broad range instruments i mean the trick with mixing is to fit parts together so that each part kind of has its own spot in the frequency spectrum right and by having those octave up octave down options you're allowing somebody else the flexibility to say, well, this register is a little bit busy here, so I'm going to go with the octave lower. And that, that's really great. Yeah, you're really giving people a lot of options there, which I know it's a lot to work with for the mix, but it actually probably makes it yeah. easier for them to be able to like not have to fight the EQ and just say, oh, I have another part here that's an octave lower, and that'll be easier to cut yeah. through the mix. Uh, it also gives the mixer a chance to be like, we we put we'll put both of the horn part like the high and the low, but we'll just put this the higher a little bit because it complements the vocals, or we'll do the right. low because it complements the bass more. So it's like different different registers can complement different different uh, instruments too. So that's just as much choice as possible is how I like to do it. Mm. What about do you guys ever do double tracking for for a part where you're playing same exact mm. notes but twice to to allow for an easier stereo effect or is that not commonly done with with horns um i'll do i'll do some of that too like there's like that's i'll do double track so like i'll usually do a double track of like the same part and then the, and then the lower octave so like there's there's mm. a lot of that going on too but i don't do that too much because i just do like the the layers like the high the low and then harmonies Mm -hmm. um but if there's a time where eddie or somebody or george are like hey do double track this it'll be sound a lot cooler it's like all right mm -hmm. cool then you can just do it but i mean sometimes in pro tools you can just like 
create it, copy it, put it on another track. It's like cheater stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, it's like taking away the sausage. You're like showing how the sausage is made right <laughs> now, but you can just take it and then just like nudge it by a millisecond. And then it also gives it that like kind of flange effect. Cause it's just like barely off, but it's the exact same part, but it's like off enough to where it's like, gives right. that, gives that uh, double recording yep. sound. Do you have, do you have any advice for people that don't play brass instruments? Like, Oh, a way to kind of wrap your head around it. Cause I, I run into this all the time, especially if I'm working on stuff that's more poppy because I feel like I have to break my brain to think, to think out, out of what I normally think to be able to write a good horn part that sounds natural and, and, and fits into the, the music that I do, that I'm doing. And I feel like that's a really broad question but are, is there like <laughs> well, is there something like really important to keep in mind whenever you're putting horns into and your I, I also I just for like for programming parts in general i don't know you, you mentioned yeah. midi i don't know if you've ever tried working with midi and horn I parts love, maybe i some, love midi okay so some advice for us arrangers who are not horn players or not never played a saxophone how do we keep it real <laughs> make it sound like yeah. a real instrument when we're doing these midi arrangements so when you're doing midi arrangements if you, if you don't have anybody there, one of the tricks that I learned at full sale was like when you, you could have like a whole MIDI horn section, like all three trumpet, trombone, sax, MIDI mm. horn section. But if you get one of those to play live, you can almost make the whole thing sound real just because there's like that one live aspect of it. Mm. So it kind of distracts from the MIDI. Um, Interesting. The MIDI totally. sound of That's it. That's a good trick. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's like, I mean, you have to find somebody to, to play what you wrote, but if you can, then that, that could definitely like add a lot more depth to it. Um, cause it does, it does kind of trick the brain mm, when just yeah. adding that one live person. Um, when I think it comes on, like, no, what's, what's up, Ben? I was going to say, I think on top of that too, you know, if, if I, let's say I wrote a MIDI part for three different horn sections mm-hmm. and then I said, Eric, come in, play this one part. And then I could hear your articulation. Then I could probably go back and make those midis more, more natural sounding, just based off of listening to what you did as a real horn player. Oh yeah, totally. You could look at the like the you could see like the peaks and valleys, like all the transients mm-hmm. of like oh he's hitting this here like that. I just like nudge this midi over and then like kind of like give it a little vibrato or like do some weird stuff like that. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. see when you have like the live sound. Um, if you record it, you can also see it visually because a lot, I mean, a lot of recording stuff is also visual because um, right. you're looking at all the sound waves and deciding where everything is. Um, so if you have that to go along with your MIDI, then you're like, oh, that's weird. The waveform looks kind of weird right there. Like, what's he doing? Then you can like zoom in on it, solo it. And you're like, oh, how do I make the MIDI sound like that? Let's mm. see what I can just like try and mess with the MIDI sound, like adding vibrato or just like weird, like weird transient or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of writing four horns, oh, that's such a hard question. Like, I, I don't know. Like I just, <laughs> I just kind of go, um, yeah. sometimes when I'm writing MIDI, like I, I write a lot of, not a lot, but I do like some dabbling in like video game music, like eight bit stuff. Um, I'll do like covers of ska songs and like, Nintendo, like super Nintendo. And it's just like, <laughs> I do the way I do the mid, my MIDI, the way I approach my MIDI is like, once it starts to make me laugh, I'm like, oh, this sounds so stupid. This is hilarious. <laughs> That's when I'm like, I'm going in the right direction with what I'm composing here with this okay, MIDI song. Okay. From from my earlier days of listening to ska, you know, I'll just say real quick, what I liked about ska initially when I first heard it was that it's like a punk, 
it's it's basically exactly like a punk rock band, but you have additional leads that can be played in there uh, by the horn parts that the guitar players and the bass player can't because they're playing all the sixteenth and eighth notes. They're keeping the rhythm, they're holding the rhythm down. So it's very cool that the horns can come in and do these really uh, intricate melodies, or they can play the rhythms along with the guitars as well. And so I think that that's one unique thing about ska that it's got mm -hmm. going for it, but. Maybe going along with that, um, three questions. You know, when do you think to play, oh, I should double what the guitars are doing? And when do you think I should come up with a completely different melody than what's happening in the rest of the music? And also, how do you balance that with what's going on in the vocals? Like, is so, there anything to be weary about with the vocals going on? So when, when we get the track, it's usually pre-vocals. Like, there's rarely we'll mm. get a track okay. when vocals are actually done or demoed, it, I mean, it all happened, but it's like, so it doesn't happen very often. Maybe like one out of like 30 songs. Like it doesn't happen very often at all, but uh, I don't really follow the guitar too much. I follow the bass more because it's more of a monophonic instrument because mm -hmm. the guitar is a little too, it's too chordal for me to like really wrap my brain around. Cause I'm like, what are they, they're playing, they're playing like nine notes at the same, I don't know. Like, how many notes are you playing at the same time? I can just pick any one of those and just go from it. But and here, the bass, like, the bass is usually playing, like, the root or A form of, like, one of the main the main roots of the song. Mm. So then it's like, okay, the bass is here. Let me start with, let me start where the bass is at. And I'll just, like, play off the bass and just, like, add mm. a few extra, like, I'll be like, okay, he's playing these three notes. Let's see how these three sound if I play with it. Now it's kind of branch out of that uh, what if i tongue it this way or like kind of like vibrato this way with these notes um but yeah i usually write more bass heavy like t i usually mm -hmm. listen to the bass a lot more mm -hmm. um for the bumps and stuff that you hear in ska music they're like bah, bah, bah. i usually listen to guitar for that because mm -hmm. that's that's usually when the bass is like doing a walking part so it's like all right what's the root the guitar the guitar's playing here let's just like do some bumps like some bah. Ba, ba, da, da, ba, ba, ba. yeah so i'll follow the guitar there but for the most part i i, I usually start with bass in terms cool. of like what i'm listening to and where i go for writing that's great i love that answer do you have any recommendations on on good virtual instruments for horns and brass stuff uh i just i just use logic for like whatever comes with logic the native stuff. stuff logic has really mm. good sounds yeah that's i I haven't really used many other libraries out there because mm. I mean, logic usually what I want, what I want to get done, which is like video game stuff or just demoing stuff. Like there's a few, I have like four or five voodoo demos where I'm like, Hey Eddie, what do you think about this? Or like, what did Eddie and George like, Hey, check this out. This is like kind of like a voodoo song. What do you think about this? So there's a couple of those, but like those aren't really going anywhere. So I don't really worry too much about how the horns sound. Because it's like, oh, yeah. they definitely sound like MIDI instruments, but we're going to replace that eventually. Idea, yeah. So uh, right. I don't really have too much to say on that in like packages or anything. Because mm. I just use like whatever's native native to the logic. And there's so many sounds in there and it's close enough, I guess. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, cool. Real quick, moving on to more Voodoo Glow uh, Skulls stuff. Um, talk about recording a music video during 
lockdown. Like, how was that? I mean, I'm oh. sure that's that was a first for all you guys. And and the video actually looks great. I mean, even though I know you recorded in your bedroom, right? <laughs> I recorded in my little studio room. So I yeah, I think I got like one of those nine dollar blackout sheets off Amazon, just like the big blackout sheets. And uh, the Living the Apocalypse videos, like Eddie sent me the the clips that they all did because they all it was like closer towards the end so like stuff was kind of starting to open up again so yeah a lot of the dudes were more like prone to like hey like you're cool to hang out like we're gonna shoot this video like you take shower and sanitize up and then we'll like wear masks and and then we'll shoot this video um so they they sent me clips of that what they did and i was like all right so i see that it's mostly like a black room and then like a light, just like a light flashing. There's like light moving. Mm. So I bought one of those. And then uh, my girlfriend, Nikki, she has a photography background. Mm. So she has like. Very helpful. A, yeah. She had a lamp, like one of those like clip on lamps. So mm, we just yeah. hung it from, we hung it from the ceiling fan in that room. And then you had the black thing and then they had the lamp. Then then she just recorded me on her iPhone and just was like hitting like hitting the lamp <laughs> to like oh, get no it to way. move, like kind of like hitting the lamp to get it to move. And, uh, that I just played through the song. Like I think I did like three or four times just straight through. And then I sent it all to Eddie and then he just pieced it together. Uh, I think how they did it there. I think they did it in one of their garages, but the similar, mm. similar thing, just like a blackout sheet. And then, uh, in the garage and then they all just like film themselves playing through the song a few times. And, um, that he just put it all. I don't know how he put it all together. He just like pieced everything together. We have uh, a. I'm looking at it shoot. now. It's very cool. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're shooting another video right now. That was like a little bit harder to do because it's outside. Mm. Um, I don't want to give away too much on it, but I had to film my parts outside. That was a little bit harder because it's like we're trying to match the scene more. Right. Um, yeah, it's like I couldn't just like put up a black sheet and be done with it. Mm. So I had to like we had the find a spot and then i did the same thing for that one i just filmed myself i did more for that one i did like five or six takes of the song just all the way through and then like a few different angles too so it's like i mean more is more for music videos stuff so like exactly. here's a bunch of it and you could just pick whatever you want yeah pick whatever you want but I mean, it was getting, it's kind of it was kind of crazy it's hard but i mean and for this even with the, the just the blackout sheet and the lighting it looks like you guys <laughs> nailed it Oh, mm-hmm. thanks, dude. Yeah, it's real cool. It's it, it's it's kind of weird. We just all filmed it like separately on different days. Like I think one day it was like Steven did drums and then like Eddie and George did their parts on another day and then Ephraim came down and then Jose came down and then they're like, all right, Scott, you need to do your parts, dude. Like you got your stuff. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And I just did it on a, on a Sunday at like 9 p.m. It's like spent an hour <laughs> and a half running through it. And I was like, ah, that's good. And then I just sent it off. It's like, it's kind of the pandemic stuff's kind of crazy like recording and doing it all is. the video stuff it's weird but just adapt adapt and go through it and just get something out there you want to just yeah. keep music going you guys have plans so, for supporting yeah, the album any tours on the horizon what's the outlook from from where you are so we have a few things coming up uh right now what we have officially confirmed is um I think it's called like punk rock weekend or something. It's May 29th in a few, in a couple weeks, May 29th oh, wow. in Phoenix. Oh, that, that was uh punk in the park, right? Yeah. Punk in the park. Yeah. Yeah. It's in Phoenix. And then I believe there might be another one of those in Denver. Um, and then we have a couple of things. So I think what I know for sure we have right now is 
the Punk in the Park on May 29th. And then I know we have August, September, October, November. There's like one festival show in each month. There's like a weekend, mm-hmm. like a weekend show every month. It's still kind of weird because we don't know if anything's going to get canceled because pandemic stuff. Um, but that's what we have for now. I, we it, like I said, it's still kind of weird. So I don't know if we're getting like tour offers yet. If things are open that far, where people are like, "Hey, let's book a f- six week tour with these three bands and like see what happens." Like it's still things are still kind of like mm. up in the is, air in that way. So it is really interesting because I. I mean, I've seen rumors and even some bands are going out on tour. Yeah. But is it the specific venues are okay with it or the places they're going? I, I don't know. It must it seems be like outdoor, like outdoor venues. Maybe a lot true. of those are outdoor venues. Or even a lot of the tour dates are for 2022 because people mm-hmm. are like, it's getting there this year, but just to play safe, let's start booking for 2022 just because like hopefully, I mean like fingers crossed, hopefully it's definitely open by then. So I think that's what people are more booking for. Um, I think all the shows we have are outdoor festivals from what I know. Okay. But, uh, I mean, who knows? Stuff might open up in a month. It might shut back down. Nobody knows. It's It's the wild, it's the wild west, man. I mean, music always has been the wild west, but it's just, well, just to, to have those shows on the horizon is really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily it's super fun to see ska outdoors anyway. No, it's great. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Ska and punk rock music and all that stuff together. Yeah. It's great. The, we, so we, we have those coming up, and then we are possibly starting on the next record already. Um, oh, we awesome. recorded a bunch of songs, probably like 25 songs for this one. Wow. We only chose 11. So I'm hoping, like, hey, man, we have another one in us. Let's see what we can do with this. So hopefully, like, maybe next year we can come out with another one, but. Right that's on. that's that's like that's been in talks with each other kind of like hey man like maybe we can maybe we can start working on the next one pretty soon like like yeah. this week let's why not when the new <laughs> record came out let's start on the next one right now and have it out next year around this time so out of out of all the bad that happened during covid i think the one really great thing is that it's kind of it's made our brains change in a way that like you don't have to be in the same place anymore to like write and record stuff right it's, forced all these bands to be able to figure out how to do stuff remotely and that just helps the writing process plus i think it's also revitalized a lot of bands too like bands that were kind of not kind of not doing anything or like Mm. even broken up totally and they're just like man we're just all sitting at home a lot of us are musicians we have like little setups let's just see if we could put something together so like a lot of bands are coming out with like little demos or just like full on records or like, you know, it's all sorts of crazy stuff. So there's a little bit of a silver lining to 2020, the year that didn't exist. (laughs) Well said. Yeah. The longest year that never existed. Right. All right, man. Well, it's been a great interview. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people find you? I don't know if you're active on Instagram or, um, the Facebooks. Uh, and if not, where can we find the Voodoo Glow Skulls? So I'm more of a lurker on all that stuff, but you can find me. <laughs> I'm Scazzini on Instagram and Twitter. I think Twitter for um, Voodoo is just at Glow Skulls. And okay. then Instagram is Voodoo Glow Skulls. And I think there's a Voodoo Glow Skulls Facebook as well. I don't have, I don't have Facebook, um, but there's, I think everything, you just search Voodoo Glow Skulls and it all comes up. Um, 
Yeah, I'm just Scazzini on just Twitter and Twitter and uh, Instagram. Right on. Awesome, man. Well, I will follow you. I'm sorry I haven't followed you yet, but I will follow you. I just, I'm a lurker. I don't really post much. I'm more of a yeah. lurker. I'm like reading every day, like different things. I don't really post too much. I mean, I have since the record comes out, I'm like, yeah, let's meet new friends and make new friends. But like the last few years, I'm like, ah, I'm just going to read about hockey and video games and <laughs> yeah. whatever people are saying on Twitter. Right on. Yeah. Probably like more active these last few weeks, but. That's good, man. Well, congrats on the new album. Yeah. Thank you. Way, way to get it done. It's going to be awesome to play some shows again, so I'm jealous a little bit. I gotta yeah. say. <laughs> thanks, man. But, this has been fun. Yeah, but thanks again. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Once again, we are the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourselves before you wreck yourselves. Have a good one. <laughs> I love that we got your reaction, too. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com and you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email ben at dreamloudstudio.com and finally join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording just search for DIY recording guys on Facebook thank you so much for listening and for your continued support I'll see you next week